time for another episode of Footnotes. And today we're gonna to be talking to Jen Randall Collins, who's the co-founder of Proof Alcohol Ice Cream. We're gonna hear a story of a person who took an idea from basically nothing into something that's being sold in grocery stores around the country. It's a story of perseverance. It's also a story of how to make something taste good that people want and about a few surprises along the way. I hope you like it. Stay tuned. Well, today we're here with uh, Jen Randall Collins of Proof Alcohol Ice Cream. Um, and I really enjoyed when we had our kind of our conversation before the conversation, just, just hearing your story and how all that happened. But, um, and there's a couple of things that I hope we get to talk about, but, but let's start with alcohol going into ice cream. Um, why are, why are you doing that? And where did the, where did the idea come from? For, for proof? Well, that, that, that's a great question. So the genesis of the idea um, actually started a very long time ago. So I'm originally fr from Kentucky, from mm -hmm. the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We're known for three things, bourbon, basketball, and horse racing. Right. Uh, two of those things are my passion, bourbon okay. and basketball. Um, so in Kentucky, generations of families, you know, before me certainly, have always put bourbon into all kinds of food products, um, including bread pudding, marinades for steaks, um, going into banana pudding, sauces, uh, things of that nature. So why not ice cream? Um, well, the reason I would say why not ice cream is because alcohol doesn't freeze at ice cream temperatures. Sure. So what we've done is we've found a solution, a solution to uh, disrupting this market with our proprietary formula. I can imagine when you're when you're doing that, like any company where you're doing something that I guess hasn't been done commercially, you know, you run into a lot of challenges and things like that. Um, what were some of those? I mean, it sounds like even just the chemistry alone would be a challenge. It is. The chemistry alone is a challenge. And then um, really the, the regulatory body. So what we have done, um, and I started this back in 2014, um, what we have done is we're creating a brand new market category. So we're not just introducing a new product in real alcohol ice cream, but we are creating an entire new market category, um, certainly in the CPG space and most especially in traditional grocery where our product is going to the shelf or going into our freezers um, and then getting into the end consumer's hands. So. Um, the challenge is how do you educate an awareness about right. a new market category? And then layer on top of that, why are these people going to pick our brand? And why did why do they trust us, mm -hmm. you know, to invest their hard-end dollars into, you know, picking up a $10 pint of ice cream? Yeah. And, and we think that answer is this phenomenal tasting ice cream that... So, yeah, I mean, you have to have a product that tastes good, that people want to eat. But also, I guess, with alcohol... You probably have to deal with different laws in every state. That is correct. So the, the first thing, it's it's really interesting. When I first got into this, and the, the genesis of this business for me is um, working on the idea in late 2014. Um, I had a connection. I was still living in Kentucky. had a connection that put me in touch with the, the top legal... Uh, attorney for the alcohol space in the U.S. And this is a guy, I won't use his name, super nice, don't get me wrong. Um, but this guy was on TV for CNN talking about, you know, alcohol, uh, the price going up, going down. I mean, like he, he is the mouthpiece for big alcohol. And so I got on the phone with him and I said, hey, you know, I'm working on this minimally viable product. Um, you know, could you give me any pointers or, you know, could we potentially work together? And he said, um, and he was... Again, he was very nice, but he said, honey, 
you, you'll, you'll, you'll never get it off the ground. He said, one, you can't get through the regulatory hurdles, and two, nobody will buy it because people don't think of alcohol and ice cream going together in that combination. And I can tell you, John, that just put my soul on fire. And I, quite frankly, had a very big chip on my shoulder and became more determined than ever to find a way, a route to market for this product. So, and, and that is a thread that runs through a lot of stories, but, but in all seriousness, when you have a big wig like that tell you those things, I mean, clearly he, he's, He's respected in the industry. He's got a lot of experience. I yes. mean, what, and I get being mad and, and that sort of provoking a, a response, but literally when you're in that situation, because I think this is a situation that a lot of people find themselves in. Absolutely. Um, is that they, they have someone that has uh, stature, for lack of a better word, yes. in, in a place and they tell them something can't happen. For you, I mean, what was the first, what was the first thing you did when you, when you heard that? The first thing I did is I spent I spent the, literally the next three months researching the regulatory space in the U.S. Okay. Literally the next three months, and I mean 10, 12 hours a day, I, I was that determined. Um, I took what he said with a grain of salt, but I also realized that some of these folks are not in the innovation space, so their vision is blinders, a horse racing term, they have blinders sure. on as it relates to their industry. And I don't think they can see beyond the guardrails that their blinders provide to see the innovation in this space. Um, so once I did that three months of research, I ran across two states where it would be possible to locate a alcohol ice cream production facility. One was New York State, they had a law on the books um, that flows under their agriculture department. And then the other one, actually, it was buried in the regs, was in South Carolina, a, a law that had been written uh, 15 years ago around food products that contain uh, certain amounts of alcohol. So I dug a little bit deeper into that statue in South Carolina and met with uh, South Carolina DOR and Department of Ag and others before relocating. I'm a single mom, so I was making a big decision wherever I was gonna go, whether it was New York or South Carolina, to relocate myself and my children to go on this very, you know, risky, you know, mission for back, for lack of a better expression. Um, once I dug into it a bit more and found that in fact, we could come down to South Carolina, um, I moved my kids and I down in the spring of 2015 and did a proof of concept, and we were off and running um, on the first iteration wow. of this journey. So from proof, proof of concept to grocery store, what's that like? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that, many, many years. Right. Yeah, okay. so, so proof of concept. Well, this is really interesting, too. So as I did the proof of concept in South Carolina, and I mean, as basic as driving around, I had a really, really old BMW that I drove around to different bars and restaurants, ask permission first, much like where we are right now, that mm -hmm. this is an eatery as well. I said, hey, can I give some samples out, these little one ounce cups to get some feedback from consumers to see what they think about it? Mm -hmm. Because I thought it would be a bar and restaurant play mm -hmm. with our product. Like I was convinced that that was the answer. And all the feedback I got was one, you can't freeze alcohol. They say, you can't freeze alcohol, let me taste it. They taste it, big smile on their face. And their next question was, where can I buy this or can I buy it online? Mm, and online purchasing was just starting to happen then. So I did a pivot. 
And I said, you know what? The restaurant, you know, we want volume. And we don't think the restaurant space is necessarily where folks want to discover our product. Mm -hmm. And they want to discover it at retail. So we made that pivot, launched into um, Total Wine & More and Lowe's Foods late 2019, early 2020, Mm -hmm. right before the pandemic, um, which unbelievably enough, we survived it. And we actually thrived during the pandemic. And now we just launched into Walmart. Um, So it's this amazing journey of persistence, believing in yourself and just, um, you know, working, working very hard on the day to day grind. What's some of the help that you had along the way um, in terms of of staying persistent? But but, I mean, the amount of time I think you said from 2015 of coming down here, having a proof concept, of course, it's seven years later. I mean, what was some of that help along the way that you got? Yeah, so this is where I, I, I absolutely, and I wish my business partner was here. So my, my mentor and was on my original board of directors is, is Dirk Brown, who okay. is at the McNair Institute, mm-hmm. heads up the McNair Institute here at USC. And um, he was really coaching me through this opportunity and kind of the day-to-day grind and always reminding me, you know, it's um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, the things that we all need to hear as, as sure. founders time to time. Um, and, and I had this unbelievable opportunity um, to partner with him in 2018. Um, and we became co-founders on the second iteration and we rebranded um, with the red packaging that you guys will, I don't know if you've seen that in the grocery yeah. stores yet, but we, we've identified this new route to market that utilizing utilizes packaging with trademarks in addition to the recipe. And, you know, having this co-founder that understands and supports the journey. And quite frankly, I mean, he has a PhD in material science okay. um, from Cornell. So he's, he is really, he is the tech guy, the food science tech expertise mm-hmm. behind the product. And I, I wouldn't be sitting here without him by my side. How about on the manufacturing side? I mean, how do you take it from somewhere where you're making it as a proof of concept to something that where you can actually ship it to stores? Because I imagine they're buying it more than one pallet at a time yes. or whatever that's like. No. What, what's what's it like when to find a place to even make this stuff? Well, that that's a, that's an incredible journey as well. Um, we actually started in a small, what I would call strip mall with one garage door off of Shop Road Okay. <laughs> back in 2015. <laughs> One ice cream machine, you know, like two people cranking out. Wow. Graduated in 2018 to a 5,000 square foot dedicated manufacturing facility, actually at uh, the North Enterprise Campus at Midlands Technical College. Okay. We're using their uh, business accelerator base and actually now have uh, almost two full bays where we run our operations. But yeah, I mean, we went literally from shipping you know, four or five pints in one little box at a time to now we're shipping thousands of uh, eight count cases on a pallet um, out to DCs throughout the Southeast. We just did our first international shipment, pallet shipments to Taiwan, Okay, actually. So it's the, the but the, the journey from going to that to shipping a half truckload or a full truckload of pallets is, um, a lot of learning, a lot of experience, a lot of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God I have a gr- great team that surrounds me and makes me look good every day. And, and they're the ones that really need to get the credit. 
So for somebody out there that's listening to this and they're thinking about the idea that they have, or maybe they're where you were, you know, back in maybe 15 or 16, where there's a proof of concept or there's, it's very small, you know, in other words, and, and they've come a long way just to get to that point, but they, they sort of look out there and they think about how far they think they have to go. I mean, what, what's your, um, what's your word to that person that that's maybe where you were seven or eight years ago? What what do you want them to know that you now know? So I think, validate your proof of concept. First, find your right passion. Once you've found your passion, validate your proof of concept. Do not be, and I'm glad I wasn't, because I'm pretty stubborn, but don't be so dialed in to what you believe is your end goal that you can't pivot. So for instance, when I was thinking, you know, this product would be restaurant, Mm-hmm. based, I, I made an immediate pivot to, to retail, knowing it would be much harder, but make sure you listen to the people around you. And then as far as, you know, I get asked this question a lot by you. Every night when my, when my, um, when my head hits the pillow, you know, I'm, I'm given a, a thanks, whether it's the universe, whatever it is you believe in, you know, that, that's, that's up above. I'm always giving thanks. It could be as simple as, Thank God my kids are healthy. I have a roof over my head and we ate today. Those were early days. Those are the early things, right? During the challenges to, you know, two months ago, it was, wow. I'm so thankful that we're rolling out, you know, 200 Walmarts, you know, in in Florida alone. So it's just always having a bit of perspective Mm -hmm. um, to be grateful for the opportunity to chase your passion or your journey. And then also surround yourself with people. This is the big one, I think, a hell of a lot smarter than you. Mm. So I'm big on surrounding myself with the right people Mm. that have strengths where I have weaknesses because I have a lot of weaknesses. Mm. And just having that yin and yang of partnership with the right person can make all the difference, not just in your sanity, but how your how your business grows. Yeah, I think that's something that we've heard in other stories sort of like yours is, is you know, that person like you will say, hey, surround yourself with people that are smarter or, or just better or more equipped than you are. I think sometimes people early on in, in their in their journey, that, that could be a little intimidating because it's like, yeah. well, well, what if they take over? Or, or yes. they just tell themselves a lot of ghost stories. Yes, you know, yes, that yes. Probably won't happen or nothing even close to that will happen. But it's like, there's a fear there of, well, if I let people know that I'm deficient somehow, some way, and yeah. I'm not going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. No, it's, I think it's very hard to make oneself vulnerable to someone else's strengths for that fear that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody's going to take over. But the flip side of that is if you, if you don't trust that person enough to be on your team, you'll, then maybe they're not the right fit. Sure. And that's, but that's a tough judgment call. I mean, I've been burned both ways. So it's, but having the right people in the right seats on the bus has been absolutely crucial for us. And we're still figuring that out. I mean, it's, I've had some folks that have come from the big CPG space that, you know, whether they were at PepsiCo or a big Fortune 500 company, they have all this knowledge, but they can't check their ego at the door and they're a bad fit for our team. And that's unfortunate because we can really use those people, but we preach, I preach culture first, culture over everything. Um, because I, I don't think you can have a successful startup without having the right culture. Well, I know you can. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's also a consistent thread that we've heard heard in other stories. And and that, I think uh, you know, culture is just one of those sort of continuing projects, I guess. Yes. 
um, where you're never quite there, but like, or it's almost like a way of doing business. It's, it's not just kind of a, a poster on the wall. I no, guess. no, yeah, exactly. No, I totally, I'm sorry, I get really excited about culture because even to this day, as we grow, it, it's super, I think it's super easy to establish the culture when you're in the proof of concept and you're probably not making any money or maybe your pre-revenue and people are so excited and they're, yeah, they're so not struggle. burned out you're, yet. You're yeah, together in the struggle. struggle. Yeah. And, and now it's, culture is still important today, even though we've grown leaps and bounds. And it's, it's interesting because I was literally just talking to my partner about this. As we grow up as a company, we're in a growing up phase. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be really mindful of how we're managing our culture because there's new team members joining. There's the things that you and I just talked about. People might get threatened because they feel like they have a skill set that they do. And it's right. always... It's constantly managing this ecosystem of egos, for lack of a better expression, to make sure everybody performs to the best of their ability and that we celebrate the wins together as a team. And everything we do has to be as a team. It's it's not about me. It's not about my partner. It's not about one individual. And quite frankly, for our company, um, the sum is, is greater than the, the individual parts that we have. Well, thank you for taking the time to sit down with us and uh, tell this story. Um, thank you for sticking it out, you know, and for going through all the all the hurdles. Uh, I, I, I love in all these episodes um, when people speak well of what they do, you know, and when they talk about their team in a way and when they are creating jobs and just creating opportunities for other people. It's just a great thing to to hear. And I don't think we can really hear it enough. Well, thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure and honor. And look, South Carolina is known for peaches and pecans and now in- innovators of alcohol ice cream. There so we've go. got a little food tech in South Carolina. That's cool. Thank you so much. Thank you.